Welcome back to Blockstream Talk. Today we're speaking with Pavlinex and Andrew from BTC Pay Server. BTC Pay Server is a self-hosted open source payment processor that supports free, private, and censorship-resistant payments for online and real-world Bitcoin transactions. Recently, BTC Pay Server was used at the Baltic Honey Badger Conference to facilitate Bitcoin payments with merchants at the event. Interestingly, many of these merchants were relatively new to Bitcoin. In this conversation, we talked about how BTC Pay Server offsets Bitcoin's volatility, a key consideration for retail payment applications, how they managed to get merchants comfortable with accepting Bitcoin, the feedback they received, and how projects like this put us a step closer to establishing a circular Bitcoin economy. If you find this podcast interesting, as always, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Thanks for joining the show today, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Before we jump into BTC Pay Server and what you guys have been up to, could you maybe introduce yourselves and give our listeners a brief overview of, of your roles at BTC Pay Server? Yeah, sure. So my name is Andrew. Um, I go by the, by the name Cooks online. Um, I've been working on BTC Pay Server for, I don't know, the past five years, maybe a bit more, um, mostly working on dev work inside BTC Pay. Yeah, uh, so my name is Pavlonex. Uh, I go by Pavlonex. Um, I've been similar as <laughs> Andrew. Uh, I've been involved with BTC Pay for uh, since the uh, beginnings, I'd say. So that makes it five years, uh, I think. Um, so besides BTC Pay, I'm working uh, on Stratum V2, uh, also Spiral Grantee. I've worked on uh, several other projects in the industry. But I guess currently just uh, BTC Pay and Stratum. And my role is janitor or a PM, however you prefer. Great. So for anyone in our audience who might not be familiar, can you explain what BTC Pay Server is and how it works? Yeah, sure. Um, so BTC Pay Server is a free open source payment processor for Bitcoin um, that is self-hosted by you uh, independently and allowing you to be self-sovereign and your business as well. Um, we, there is no revenue model. There is no, uh, commercial plans or any of that. Uh, it's not a company. It's just a software project that you, that you just run yourself. Uh, we develop everything out in the open. Uh, we don't have any backdoor meetings. Uh, we don't have any VC funding. We, we just work on this independently and towards a common goal of self-sovereign Bitcoin payments. Very cool. I saw a video recently of Baltic uh, Honey Badger and you guys were selected to process payments there. How did that come about? So we've been with uh, Honey Badger uh, since the beginning. So we are um, in a way friends with them. Uh, we've been supported by them uh, for a few years now. And uh, we organize our BTC Pay server annual gatherings, which we call uh, BTC Pay Day uh, in Riga. Um, so we have developed a pretty good relationship uh, with them. And uh, in one of the conversations, they said to us that uh, in, in like earlier conferences, uh, people were unable to pay uh, in Bitcoin with merchants outside. And that was probably the biggest complaint that they uh, had uh, for the conference. Uh, so we were just thinking, OK, how can we help you guys? And then we started uh, tinkering how, how to make this experience smoother. Uh, we identify a few uh, requests that merchants had and some setbacks that were also previously stopping them from, from accepting Bitcoin payments. And we went from there and created a very tailored solution uh, for, for the Baltic Honey Badger. Anything to add, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, um, 
to add, the only thing I would add is that we've been helping them for the past, I guess, two conferences with uh, ticket sales uh, for the conference itself as well. So we have been, you know, uh, uh, kind of providing the infrastructure at least at some level for them um, just to be able to accept Bitcoin payments for ticket sales. Um, This year, we just expanded it to, you know, the actual merchants in the conference. Yeah, that's very cool. And how did you decide on the plugins like Prism and and, and uh, SideShift, and and how did those work? And maybe also introduce introduce briefly what what Prism and, and SideShift do. Yeah, so the plugins in BTC Pay is something that we came up with a few years back. Um, it was during a time where we were basically trying to get a bit more lean in the code base. We were building features nonstop all the time, and the UI was getting a bit cluttered in BTC Pay. Um, eventually. We, we realized that we just couldn't build everything that everyone asked for directly inside BTC Pay. It was just getting too too clunky. Um, so we decided that we can create um, basically packages of code that can be installed by server administrators uh, on uh, depending on what they need. Uh, and that's, that's what the plugins are. It's kind of like what exists for WordPress and all these other uh, uh, solutions online. So the, so the Prism plugin, is something it's based on the on the prism concept they came up with and that JG was pushing through through uh, through Noster a few a few months back. It's basically the idea of automated workflows on Lightning, where money comes uh, money comes in and one uh, through Lightning, and then you split it out to different destinations automatically. Um, the Prism plugin in BTC Pay is based on this concept, where you can enable it on on stores. Where, for example, you can say all the money that comes in through the point through a point of sale application on BTC Pay, forward fifty percent of that to a destination and the other fifty percent to somewhere else. And the way it works is every destination is like has a threshold. So, for example, only send out the the amount if it reaches a specific balance, so that you can kind of accumulate them and send them out in, in bulk to reduce the amount of uh, needless transactions. Um, so that's that's the Prism plugin. Then there's SideShift plugin. Um, so that one, so SideShift is a no KYC uh, online exchange. Um, it supports basically sending in Bitcoin and converting it to any, any other asset uh, without needing to do KYC or or any of that. And it uh, it doesn't stay as, as a balance on on the exchange. It sends it out to another wallet in, of you that you specify. So the SideShift plugin essentially works by it will create an order on demand for you, and uh, the Prism plugin sends the funds uh, to the to the SideShift plugin, uh, and the SideShift plugin converts it to an order that gets created on demand, and it sends it to back to your wallet. Uh, so in, in our case, it was sending uh, every time the point of sale of a merchant received 100k Sats, it will create an order on SideShift, send the 100k Sats to it. Uh, minus whatever fees on Lightning, which is basically non-existent, and then it will um, f- uh, convert it to USDT on on Liquid and send it to the Liquid wallet. So I guess matching up those two ideas, yeah, that's exactly how you take care of the the Bitcoin volatility, which has been a historic pushback from merchants, right? Is that Bitcoin's price moves around a lot, so it's hard for them to accept. And I guess as soon as you hit the threshold, it pings it off to the exchange, and then the exchange sells it in a pretty small size. Uh, at a market order. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much um, the idea is that we wanted to do it fast enough 
uh, like often enough that you don't wait until the uh, the USD rate changes too much, but you want to do it uh, uh, slow enough so that you don't basically create you know a million transactions on on the liquid network liquid network. So every hundred k sats was basically executing I don't know every five to ten minutes maybe. So every five to ten minutes an order was created, hundred k sats were forwarded and. The equivalent amount of USDT was sent to the to the wallet. Why was the threshold set at 100k Sats? Is that a reason for that? Just an intuitive number or uh, intuitive number? Um, we initially actually we started off with 50k Sats, but it was triggering like <laughs> quite often, um, and every 10 15 minutes was acceptable, especially because I think Sidechip was saying like the fee on Liquid was so low that they sometimes didn't even ask you to cover it, so that was a good amount. Um, like it, it costs, it didn't cost anything extra to do it often that, uh, as 100k sats. Um, and I guess in terms of the volatility, it kind of, you know, it should average out. If you're doing enough transactions over enough time, sometimes Bitcoin price goes up, sometimes it goes down, sometimes it goes sideways like it has for like five months. <laughs> you know, so I guess over time it should average out if you're doing enough transactions, right? Yeah, I would say so. But merchants are a bit finicky, especially when you're doing something for three days. Uh, you know, if the price moves a thousand bucks, there they they get like, ooh, what am I gonna do now? Even though they they probably sold like a hundred bucks worth of co- coffee or something. So, it it's all about making them feel at ease, even even for a shorter time frame. I mean, they're they're running a business, so they need to really be careful of the costs. Uh, sometimes their uh, margin is not really high, so they they're selling as Andrew said two two dollar coffee. So. With all this, I know that like for some of the listening, this can be very like, wow, this is crazy setup. How is anybody even supposed to to accept Bitcoin this way? But for those people who may think this is tricky, for merchants, it wasn't. And I think that's what matters for them. We managed to address all the concerns that they had, which is we want to accept Bitcoin, but we, we don't want to be to express, uh, be open to its volatility. We want a very easy and smooth user experience. And our customers may not have Bitcoin to pay in the first place. And how do we handle that? So those are three biggest challenges that we had to address. And then, yeah, we rolled our, our sleeves and tried to, to figure out a system which uh, somehow addresses all these needs in a, in, in a short amount of time. I also must stress out because we did it uh, well, Andrew did it in a very short amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have any plans to roll it out to more exchanges or something like that going forward? Because one thing I was thinking about is, you know, if all of this is going to be, all the flow is going to be one way, right? This is all self flow. And, you know, side shift, the trading, I think is a little bit thin. You, I guess there's a lot of, if it, you know, maybe if you have a big event or enough people on board that are just like constant downward pressure on the price, does, does that impact price at all? And then do you have any plans to kind of maybe expand it to more exchanges and, and more get more liquidity? So I don't think it would impact the price. I mean, it, it would take quite a lot <laughs> of volume to actually do that, like you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of anything, right? To move it that much. Uh, on side shift, I don't think they, I'm not even sure if they, you know, uh, kind of simulate the price movement. I think they're more like following the, the USDT, the USD price on an, on a different exchange or different price sources, and then saying, "Oh, this is the this is the price." At least that's my impression of it. Uh, regardless, we do wish we could support more, um, just for the sake of options for the user. Um, the main reason I chose SideShift was because their API allows some interesting things without having me kind of be like an intermediary to everything. Uh, so it's like a public API. They don't need me to. Um, 
you know, create a service like cooks.org and running, you know, some side shift intermediary operation. Like they, all the merchants can just do it without needing to register with side shift or getting an API key. They can just connect to it, create an order and the money just flows through. Regardless of that, um, we do have uh, part of the plugin system also supports uh, exchanges to a degree. Uh, so for example, uh, we want to make it so that you can hook in an exchange and create orders on those exchanges and send and you know creating deposit addresses and you know payment requests on the exchange so you can forward to that as well. So it's all part of our uh, plan to enable these true plugins, not necessarily built as part of core, but uh, just just for the sake of having options to the end user. And like if somebody uses an exchange for already for converting to to fiat. They should be able to use that instead of SideShift. And, and what was the merchant reaction to receiving the funding in, in, in Tether? I mean, there's probably still like a lot of traditional merchants that would find that a bit bizarre as well. Did you get any pushback on that? And what were their plans to converting it to their local currency? Or did they just not have plans to do that? On their end, they had options. Uh, for us, Tether was just a way to hedge against volatility. And uh, at the end of the conference, they had options to do whatever they want. Uh, so I, I, I would assume that most of them uh, opted out to get uh, fiat uh, for sure. Uh, but we just don't have the, this this data on, uh, because it was handled on the whole, whole platform. So we don't really know how this was uh, specifically handled. Um, the case study mentions the importance of instant and fee-less transactions and the subsequent choice of the Lightning Network. How does BTC Pay Server facilitate seamless Lightning transactions, especially at larger scale for you know bigger events? And how do you prevent um, payment failures? That's an interesting one. Um, so obviously, Lightning needs to exist for in order for Bitcoin in retail to work because on-chain, uh, with its first fees and then the, the settlement of approximately 10 minutes doesn't really scale. When you're a big business selling um, you know, a lot of items, uh, you just can't afford uh, to, to have people waiting around and then you just cannot have people canceling transactions, especially these days when even wallets make double spending very easy for the end user just by adding an option to cancel a transaction. So um, Lightning was really obvious choice there because I think I, I personally believe, and maybe Andrew can uh, comment on his beliefs, but in order for Bitcoin to be used uh, as a medium for, for payments, we re really need to have something uh, like Lightning. Now, if Lightning is the best system, I'm not sure yet, but it's the best uh, what we currently have. So for us, uh, we were actually one of the first, if not the first uh, payment processor, maybe maybe somebody was there before us, I'm not really sure, to implement Lightning uh, in, in the beginning. So I think we implemented it in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we support all of major implementations of the Lightning Network, so it's uh, up to user to, to choose whichever they want to opt in for. Uh, Unfortunately, Lightning is very hard. Lightning sucks. Uh, it's hard. Uh, you as a merchant really need to uh, pay a lot of attention to channels, to you know, um, have liquidity to, to be able to accept payments. And we are still not there when it comes to Lightning service providers that do this very automatically for, for the users. Uh, I assume at some point in time we will be there, but currently we are not there. And it is unfortunate that um, we had to choose, uh, for example, a custodial solution in this case to accept Lightning payments, which is unfortunate, but it's a reality of Lightning. And it's something that we have to be aware of for this to be able to work at this scale uh, for over 
2,000 transactions or even more, maybe 3,000 transactions, we had to use a custodian node uh, by Albi. Um, but luckily, we had this mechanism which pulled the money out. So we weren't, weren't really exposed uh, very long to this custodianship risk by Albi. We just uh, basically used them um, as a liquidity provider in a way and just uh, somebody who maintains a node and channels and takes care of all of this <laughs> And we just borrowed their, their node for, for a period of uh, 100k sets before we pulled uh, the money out of it uh, every time the threshold was reached in a way. So that, that also shows that we are still not there in Lightning because if Lightning worked the way uh, we hope it will, uh, we would just use non-custodial solutions for all of these merchants. And this is our goal for maybe next year to actually try to simulate this same experience which was very very smooth transactions were, were you know there were no problems in terms of like people not being able to to send money or liquidity not being there uh, but we need to simulate this in a non-custodial way and that is one of our goals with the btc pay app we are working on actually we were really even mo- even more motivated after this experience that we really need to push more on the non-custodial lightning. Because if the future of Bitcoin is for everybody to use these custodial nodes to be able to accept payments through lightning, then that's not the Bitcoin we sign up for. Exactly. Yeah. And to go back to the to the point, like if we had to use the exact same model again for a bigger conference, bigger scale events, uh, I think it would work as well. I, I don't think it makes a big difference between 20 merchants or 100 merchants in this system. Um, like all the money is flowing in and out. Technically, the channels, the lightning channels of Albi are kind of getting rebalanced on demand every single time since 100K flows in, 100K flows out. Um, so it was reusable quite quite extensively. Um, and the BTC Pay server instance that we had running was under no specific load, really. Like there was nothing crazy going on. It could have handled a lot more. Um, we also got a lot of good feedback from it. Uh, we, we've we been fixing any UX issues that came out of it. Um, we even did um, build some of the NFC card issuance directly into BTC Pay now, so we can have one, one single system for everything. Uh, so you can literally deploy BTC Pay server and handle the entire infrastructure for payments uh, from tickets to handing out gift cards uh, powered by Lightning to you know, accepting Bitcoin on Lightning and on Bitcoin on-chain. Um, going back to a point that uh, Pav mentioned, I do think there is still a, a place for on-chain transactions, uh, but it's not going to be for like a street vendor selling you know, food. Like, that's not, that's not going to work. Like, you can't wait 10 minutes uh, while you're buying a coffee. Like, it's just not realistic. You need to. You will probably want to do it if you're buying a car from a car dealership or you know buying something high value. Um, I wouldn't send it over Lightning at that point because I probably won't have that amount of money on a Lightning channel. And, and just to add a bit on that, also maybe this can be advice for all of the other people building in Bitcoin. For us, uh, being exposed as, as as builders, like just being exposed to our software being used. Uh, at that scale and just being there in real time, just seeing how people use your product was really amazing. And we learned a lot. And I think we as the Bitcoiners usually build this stuff behind the scenes and we rarely see products uh, still, how people use them. So if you know you can uh, spend more time with users uh, who use product like for, for something very specific, it's really cool. We learn a lot, as Andrew said, 
got a bunch of feedback and we are ironing things out. Even our next release is basically inspired by, by this use case because we were just looking uh, at them, how people use and just like taking notes uh, on how we can improve. And what were the conversations like with the merchants? How did you convince them to to get set up and, and, and how long did it take for them? And what was the kind of pushback that they gave you, if any? So th- that's the beauty of it. The, the onboarding process was pretty smooth. We ensured that they don't really have to have any uh, mental effort in order to accept uh, these payments because... First and foremost, we tried to mimic very similar or familiar experience to them. Uh, so for a merchant, uh, all they had to do is make sure that point of sale is charged and uh, that, uh, well, we will learn one more about lessons. And this is like Wi-Fi. Uh, on, on one of the test days before the conference, we actually figured out that we have internal network for all of these point of sale devices. But then somebody shared shared a password to that network uh, in a group with 800 people. So then merchants weren't able to, to really have a smooth experience. So then we use SIM cards. Uh, in, in these devices, which allow them uh, way better uh, connectivity. But uh, for them, it was pretty smooth. Uh, like we spent literally three minutes, three to five minutes with each and every of them. They realized that all they have to do is type in the amount, click charge. Uh, we explained how they can, you know, take a look at invoices and handle all of that. And we really didn't receive any pushbacks uh, on that one. I even wrote a handbook for them to like detailing how to use everything. And but we didn't even need to give it to them because they figured it out super fast. And, and what kind of merchants were they? Were they people that are already familiar with Bitcoin and digital assets or they were more traditional and kind of this is new to them? I think they were all new to it. Oh, wow. None of them were very experienced in what how Bitcoin works, what Bitcoin does. Like they were literally just there to sell their food and had no clue what to do <laughs> that it was a like they probably knew it was a bitcoin conference what uh, they probably heard of bitcoin but they had no clue how or what it does or why in a survey conducted after a conference uh with them actually on a scale one to five i think approximately they were on on number two how familiar they were with bitcoin before the conference so that probably means that they heard about it and then how concerned were they to accept bitcoin i think uh, their answer was on a scale one to five it was like four uh, being concerned to accept bitcoin as a payment before the conference but then what was really amazing is that we asked them then uh, okay would you be up for accepting uh, bitcoin payments next year and 83 percent of them actually said yes and when we asked, okay, would you be open to accept Bitcoin for your business in general? 50% of them said yes, which is really great number for somebody who really is not familiar with Bitcoin at all. So the experience, smooth experience really helped uh, onboard them to, to Bitcoin in a way. Could you uh, explain a little bit, dig a little bit deeper into your, you know, using the point of sale machines um, to make the payment experience more familiar for merchants? Is that um, is it a different machine? Is it something you you guys built specifically for this, or was it something that was off the shelf? So the bit the the machine is called is from a company or I guess working group called Bitcoinize. Um, they're working on selling this product to as on a large scale. Um, so they helped us out. They gave it. They gave. They sold us the devices at a very uh, at cost, uh, just for the sake of us trying to enable these merchants. Uh, the devices—they're nothing special in terms of what what they are, what they do. Um, they, but the good thing about them is that they are so similar to uh, other devices, to other payment terminals, and that's that's the main point. Uh, they look exactly the same. Um, they function the same thing, right? So uh, for them, that, I think that's the main selling point. They they just look 
like every other device that they own in uh, on the on their food truck when they want to accept money. Yeah, I think if we want Bitcoin to be adopted, it need, people need to use Bitcoin without even you know being mentally focused that they're using Bitcoin without even knowing. Like for them, they were just accepting payments and. That's that's what matter. And what about the NFC voucher cards? How did those work? So that was a collaboration with uh, with with the teams from my pleb tags uh, and uh, Ellen Bits. They they ordered and issued the cards themselves. Um, and basically, these cards they're 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 called bolt cards. Um, what they do is you can top them up with with Bitcoin, and as soon as you tap them on an NFC enabled checkout experience in Bitcoin, they will pull the money from the cards and you know over lightning and, and pay for it. Um, they're pretty cool. Um, uh, we've had that support in BTC for uh, pay for a while now. Um, it started out as a, as a plugin actually in BTC pay, um, because we felt like, okay, this is super niche. Nobody's going to use it. Like, you know, um, it's like, you know, it's like, okay, we mostly focus on online payments for the, for the most part. Right. So like, this is a very physical, physical aspect of, of payments. So we built uh, we built it as a separate plugin, and we noticed that everybody was basically installing the plugin and trying to use it. So we're like, okay, maybe this is more popular than we thought, and we moved it directly inside the, the core of BTC Pay. So now every install comes with the feature enabled. Um, it's really cool. Um, we launched it. I think we launched the plugin at least last year alongside the, when the Coin Corner guys released the, the their paid bolt cards. Um, yeah, I think it's really amazing and we're working on creating a lot more experiences around it. Um, for example, the, we have a plugin called Ellen Bank, uh, which uh, acts as a semi-account system inside BTC Pay server. So you can have sub-accounts there with uh, individual lightning balances. And each of these Ellen Bank accounts can have, uh, you can issue a bolt card directly on it now. Uh, so we're basically making it you know, a standalone payment and card issuing service. Oh, very cool. And given, you know, the feedback from the surveys and the merchant experience was pretty positive. What do you guys, what's the plan going forward? Are you working with more um, conferences and events going forward? Are you working with any, have you had any interest from any mainstream events? Is that something that you're looking to do? Maybe non-Bitcoin events? Yeah. I mean, we realize that uh, Bitcoin in retail is something that we really want to work on and focus on uh, more in depth. Uh, that was the first learning for sure. And it just like the second one was, yeah, uh, I mean, we definitely want to this to succeed. We want more conferences to accept uh, uh, payments for sure, uh, whether it's Bitcoin or not. Preferably, it would be great if we had non-Bitcoin conference uh, accepting Bitcoin. That that would be great. But any any conference organizers willing to, to you know, uh, mimic this setup that that's the reason why even we wrote this case studies to motivate people to to adopt this and if anybody out there needs help on setting this up feel free to reach out we'll gladly onboard you uh, and yeah it also it's also helpful feedback for us uh, so yeah feel free to reach out you mentioned at the beginning that you also do a lot of work on other open source bitcoin projects including stratum v2 um, can you explain, maybe shifting gears slightly, can you explain to our listeners what Stratum V2 is and, and why that's necessary and and also how individuals and organizations can, can contribute to its development? Yeah, sure. So um, I work on Stratum V2 together uh, with uh, several other uh, people. It's an open source project 
So Stratum V2 is an uh, upgrade to an existing mining protocol. Uh, currently, all, all miners use something called Stratum V1 or just Stratum. Um, it's a mining protocol that allows mining devices to communicate with each other, with mining pools, and of course, the Bitcoin network. Um, the reason why there is a need to upgrade the protocol, no matter how scary that sounds, is that the new protocol improves security, uh, optimizes for better performance, and uh, most importantly, decentralizes uh, transaction selection in Bitcoin. Uh, so uh, currently, uh, <laughs> mining pools are the one that uh, we basically get to say which transactions go into next block. And with Stratum V2, we are shifting that uh, responsibility to back towards miners. So individual miners uh, will be able to, to do transaction selection so that no single entity can censor a mining pool, for example, uh, or just say, okay, these are the transactions from X uh, individual that shouldn't be included. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, first and foremost, that definitely a lot of security improvements as well, because it is uh, mind-blowing that uh, in 2023, we are still using a protocol which uh, is not encrypt encrypting communication between all of them. So... I would just say that that alone is worth upgrading, uh, and then definitely the decentralization aspect. Yeah, the decentralization aspect is a huge one, right? I mean, historically, given Bitcoin's history, the pools have had so much influence over, or tried to exert so much influence over Bitcoin and its direction, that it's great to push back a little bit. Yeah, so we are working on something called uh, SRI, Stratum Reference Implementation. So just like maybe I'll give example for Lightning Network. In Lightning, we have several implementations, Core Lightning, LND, uh, Eclair. Uh, so uh, in, in Stratum, there is like Stratum V2 is a protocol, but there are different implementations of it. One of them is Brains implementation, which has been in use for uh, quite a few years by them only. However, uh, for implementation to be widely adopted and used, it needs to be open sourced uh, and it needs to be developed independently. Uh, so that's why we formed a working group of several different entities and organizations who are now involved into building uh, an open source implementation of uh, and also complete implementation of the Stratum V2 protocol. Uh, we will be shipping our... I think update, next update uh, within, uh, well, next month, mid next month, I would say. Uh, and this update will be very big uh, because it will allow miners to finally implement, mining pools actually, to, to finally implement the software within uh, their infrastructure if they want to. We've done a lot of optimization, a lot of restructuring, refactoring. So the code is finally ready. And when people say why Stratum V2 is not adopted, I, I would say it's on us. We didn't really develop a software yet, and now it's done. So now we'll see if uh, pools and miners, of course, uh, adopt it going forward. Um, so great, guys. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Is there anything we missed, anything you guys want to highlight? Um, definitely want to let people know where they can go to find more information about BTC Pay Server and some of the other projects you guys are working on. Yeah, you can go to btcpayserver.org to find the entry points to, to find our discussions, documentation, installation guides, um, request new features, talk with us, give us feedback. Um, we, we want to highlight that we're working on the, the, the non-custodial lightning aspect quite hard now. Um, we, we recently announced that we're working on a native application cross-platform to allow lightning um, to allow a lightning node to be run remotely from your BTC Pay instance, so that you can have shared instances with BTC Pay uh, while also accepting lightning without 
sharing custody with someone else. Um, it's something that we're focusing very heavily on. We're hoping to get something out by next year, at least an MVP. Um, and we're welcome to talk about it with anyone that wants to hear what we have to say and what we're proposing just to get feedback, see if we're doing the things right. If you want to get insight into fun part, uh, follow BTC Pay account on Twitter and Noster, of course. Um, for Stratum in particular, the website is stratumprotocol.org. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.